You have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase and have earnestly, fervently prayed. But you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. Would you walk with the Lord in the light of his word and have peace and contentment always? You must do his sweet will to be free from all ill on the altar your all you must lay is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid your heart does the spirit control you can only be blessed and happy and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul who can tell all the love he will send from above and how happy our hearts will be made of the fellowship sweet we shall share at his feet when our all on the altar is laid. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul as you yield him your body and It's been 30 years since God called Stephanie and I to go to the former Soviet Union to spread the gospel. In 1993, we moved our family to the small country of Moldova, which is situated between Ukraine and Romania. We started with evangelizations in a large auditorium where hundreds attended and heard the gospel for the first time. Many souls came to Christ, and we were able to start four churches in that region during our first term. God then burdened us to start a youth camp ministry in Moldova. In 1998, we were able to buy a large camp in the center of Moldova. Later, we purchased a smaller camp in the far north. Through the years, we've hosted tens of thousands of youth to come to the youth camp. Over 60,000 young people have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ because of the youth camp ministry. Many of today's Christian youth and youth pastors were saved and discipled through the camp ministry in Moldova. 
This past summer, we reopened the camp after being closed two years because of the pandemic. Many youth came and heard the gospel and were saved. We have begun again the ministry of youth camps in Moldova. In 2009, we opened a Bible Institute at the camp facility. The Institute is for Moldovan young people to be discipled, many of who were saved in the camp. Each student also chooses a trade to study. We offer computers, cooking, auto mechanics, and tailoring. A number of our graduates have started churches and are working in other ministries in Moldova. Even some of them are on our full-time staff at the camp. In 1999, a missionary friend of mine in Romania informed me of needs in Malawi, Africa. Through the course of time, we were able to start establishing churches through evangelistic efforts that we were doing just on short-term mission trips. I felt the ministry was developed enough in Moldova that it was time for me to begin to turn things over to the Moldovan leadership and go to Malawi to make disciples of our pastors and to begin training our nationals for the work of the ministry. We had a tremendous amount of success in our, in our short-term Bible schools, and we began to set up districts of ministry. Today we have nine districts, and in those nine districts we have nine bicycle teams that go throughout their district evangelizing and starting new churches. In the last 10 years, we've established nearly 200 new churches in the country of Malawi. A few years ago, Dr. Joshua Hutchins felt called of God to come to Malawi to work with us. He moved his family there five years ago and established a full-time Bible school for our young people. We've had a tremendous amount of success with our Bible school there. New pastors, new churches, and it's changing the face of our ministry. We also have mobile clinics. A mobile clinic ministry that goes out into the bush where there are no doctors, where there are no hospitals or clinics, and we help the people there. In many cases, we're working with our church planters on a humanitarian and evangelistic ministry through the mobile clinics. And this has been a tremendous outreach ministry as well. We normally treat between 200 and 250 patients per day. After we established the Hutchins as full-time missionaries in Malawi, this opened the door for us to do something we've been wanting to do for a long time, and that's to go to Central Asia. These are the republics of the former Soviet Union, they speak Russian, but they're mostly Muslim countries. God has opened up the door for us to work there through youth camps and youth ministries. We've run camps there the last three years, and we've seen many young people come to Christ. We've also opened youth centers, and we work with college youth and high school youth in many of the cities. Just this past summer, we opened a new ministry in Uzbekistan, Backpacking Adventures for Young People. We take up to 20 young people, all Muslims, into the mountains on a backpacking adventure and we introduce them to the gospel. This last summer, many were saved and many of them are now being discipled in the new churches that we started. Pray for us as we continue this ministry. We're just at the beginning. Pray that God will bless and many souls will come to Christ in these Muslim countries of Central Asia. Thank you very much for your support and your prayers. I never forget, I never remember these microphones. But we do appreciate it very much. Uh, you're 
church took us on many years ago. Uh, Pastor and I were reminiscing. Uh, first time I preached uh, for this church, I think was in his basement uh, on a Wednesday night service. And I may have been the second, third missionary that this church took on uh, in its infancy. And uh, we've come a long way. We've gotten old together, Pastor and I. Pastor doesn't seem like he's changed much, you know. Uh, well, I don't want to say any more than that. You know, you don't want to say too much about a pastor. But uh, I love your pastor. He's a great man. He's done a great work here in Akron. I'm from Akron, Ohio. Uh, I grew up down in the Kenmore area. Uh, I lived about six houses down from Reimer School, right near the Akron Baptist Temple. I attended the Akron Baptist Temple, and maybe I'll say a little more about that in a minute. But um, I always enjoy coming back to Akron. Pastor, I have no idea when the last time I was, I was in this area preaching, I know that uh, in January of next year, we'll be in three years uh, since we really were in the States and in any preaching in any American churches. I got back for a few months during the pandemic uh, because my heart was giving me some problems. I had pericarditis about two and a half years ago. I got back in the States about three, uh, for about three months, but the pandemic was going on. We just stayed put down in South Carolina where my kids are. Um, they can't do anything for my heart. Uh, but I went to Africa, and uh, we had a little nurse there. She wasn't even finished with school yet, and she said something that made me laugh. She says, uh, they call me Dr. Eric. Dr. Eric, you need electrolytes. That's all that's wrong with your heart. And I thought, well, you know, I, I've got some millionaire doctors that have told me they can't figure out what's wrong with my heart. But I thought, you know, why not? You know, what, I said, so what, what kind of electrolytes do I need? She said, you just need to eat a couple bananas every day. Well, I like bananas, and African bananas are very good. I think they're much better. I have some bananas where we're staying at my brother's house. And American bananas, they, they just aren't as sweet. They just aren't as tasty. Because these are naturally ripened bananas. They're not real big. So I'll eat a couple bananas every day. Well, about the third day in, all my heart palpitations stopped. And uh, if I could just get some African bananas, I don't think I'd ever have another heart issue. Uh, but I've got to figure out where to get some electrolytes that, that work for me other than bananas. But uh, the American bananas aren't quite doing it for me. But, but um, I decided a couple years ago, we were talking about maybe I just need to retire. I don't know, if your heart's bothering you. And I decided, well, you can't live forever, so I'm just going to go back to the mission field, do as much as I can. And if I die, I die. I've got to die sometime, right? Uh, everybody does. But um, I feel very much alive. I'm very glad to be, uh, to be here tonight, to be in, be in this church. I love this church. You guys have a great church here. But um, So I'm saying it's been at least three years since I preached in an American church. I preached this weekend in West Virginia. Uh, this next weekend I'm in Pennsylvania. Uh, then I'm going to be doing some medical. And then sometime early January, I hope, although it may be later, simply because of the medical stuff I'm doing, I've got to do some spinal decompression. Uh, I don't know what that means yet. I'll find out next week. But um, I've had some back issues for about a month now. And so, I mean, I don't know. You get older, you start falling apart. Uh, my doctor in Moldova told me, lose 20 pounds, get some exercise. I thought she was being very generous when, generous when she said, lose 20 pounds. You know, I, I imagine an American doctor would have told me, lose a lot more than 20 pounds. So I was really thankful I had a Moldovan doctor I was talking to. But we'll see what the American doctor says next week. But... Um, uh, I came basically to introduce Joshua Hutchins, he's on furlough, to some major sponsors. We have some corporate sponsors over in the Philadelphia area, and I want to introduce him because, see, I'm in that last stage of ministry. 
Now, I may still be in ministry 10 years from now, 15 years from now, but I'm trying to put leadership in place in all the ministries. You have to start well, you have to maintain your ministries, and then you have to finish well. And so that's where I'm at. I want to make sure we have leadership in all of our ministries. We've hired a couple of guys in Moldova we think are going to be there a long time, Bible school graduates, Moldovan guys, but we believe they're going to, they've got good leadership skills and we're reestablishing the camps and we're real excited about what God's doing in Moldova. I'll be going back to Moldova uh, when I leave the States. But um, I think when it comes to missions, uh, and this is not really part of my message, but I, I think when it comes to missions, we need to understand the importance of missionary work. And I say this for the young people as much as, as anyone here. If we want to hasten the day of the Lord, we need to do missionary work. We need to preach the gospel. I don't know, I'm not going to look in Romans chapter 11, but in Romans chapter 11, it's talking about the, the Gentiles being engrafted into Abraham. And you get to a point where Paul says, there's a mystery I want to reveal to you. I always pay attention when the Bible says, here's a mystery I want to reveal to you. The Jews are partially blinded, that's what Paul says. They're still partially blinded. Although I think if you know anything about uh, Jewish ministries, Muslim ministries, the blinders are starting to come off. All right, But he says they're partially blinded. And when the fullness of the Gentile has come, then essentially it says all of Israel will be saved. But what is the fullness of the Gentile? That is God collecting for Himself a people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue on earth. When God has collected a people, a family, then He's going to turn His attention back to Israel and we know the second coming of Christ is very near. I believe the second coming of Christ is close. I believe we have the ability today to see that the gospel has nearly been preached to every people on earth today. And we also have other things that are going on in the world. We have world events going on today that we never had any other time. That even during my father's time, when he thought the Lord was coming back uh, right, right about the time of World War II, uh, the, earth did, the people of the earth didn't have the ability to destroy themselves in those days. We have the ability to destroy ourselves today. There's enough nuclear weapons in Russia to destroy the earth twice. And we have nearly as many in the United States. But if we take it even a step further, uh, I got a call from Africa uh, about two years ago. And uh, they said they're making us close down our churches in, in Malawi. If you looked on the, the website at the time, they had 2,500 cases of COVID and about 200 deaths, mostly elderly people. And that they made them close down the churches in Africa. The guy says, the guys are asking me, they said, we're out in the bush, what should we do? I said, do you have anybody out there enforcing it? They said, nobody's out here, we don't see anybody. We were just told we had to close down our churches. I said, I'll leave it up to you, it's your choice. But I wouldn't do it, I wouldn't do it. And um, they kept their churches open. I was just with the guys a month ago, I said, have you ever seen a case of COVID-19? They said, we've never seen it and we don't know what it is. That's in the bush in Africa. And if they had seen it, they would have thought it was malaria and they would have taken an ivermectin-based drug and they would have gotten over it in a matter of days, which is what I did when I got COVID last year. And you may disagree with that, but that's okay. Uh, I'm just following the science. But anyway, uh, anyway, I don't want to get political and I don't want to pretend I'm a scientist or a doctor. But I will tell you a story. I went to see my doctor. I got on... 
I got on Medicare last year, and I went to see my American doctor, and I told him, well, I just had COVID a month ago. And he says, well, you look pretty good for a guy who just had COVID. I said, I know. I was only sick for three days. He says, well, what did you do? I says, well, I took ivermectin. I got it from Africa. You can't get it in the States, but you can get it from Africa. So I brought it from Africa. He says, you know, that'll, that'll damage your liver. And he started going through the list. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I run clinics in Africa. I said, all people in sub-Saharan Africa, when they get malaria, malaria is a killer. You know, well, we're having 200 people die of COVID-19. We're having 6,000 people every few months dying of malaria there in Africa. But when you get malaria, you take an ivermectin-based drug, and we give it to babies. We give it to pregnant women. I've taken it. By the way, I take, I take a dose of hydroxychloroquine every, every week. And I know missionaries who have done it for 30 years, and it doesn't do anything to harm us. One of the safest drugs on earth. And I asked my doctor, I said, well, you're being a doctor. You know that, right? And he just looked at me for a minute and he said, yeah, I know that. I said, then why did you tell me it was damaging my liver and why it would kill me? Well, he changed the subject and we went on to something else. But uh, um, this is the kind of world we live in today. We live in that kind of world. I don't know if you know it or not, but two days ago, we nearly had, we nearly had the eruption of a European war. That could have turned into World War III two days ago. Somebody wised up and said, oh, it wasn't Russia hitting Poland with a missile. The Ukrainians don't know how to use the American equipment, and they hit, they hit a tractor. You want to see propaganda? I was watching Max News when they were talking about that missile that Russia used to hit Poland. They had a big building there that had collapsed by a missile attack and had fallen down and the smoke's coming out of it. And I'd already read it was a tractor that got hit out in the middle of a field. Now that's propaganda, folks. We live in a world of propaganda. We live in a world of Russian propaganda, American propaganda, European propaganda. We live in that kind of world. And the only way we're going to know the difference is if we know our Bible. And if we have an open mind to what God is saying, then I think we can know the difference by the Spirit of the living God. Now, I have been working, we didn't say much about it on the video, but I've been working with Ukrainian refugees. We've had as many as 160 refugees in our camp. Um, I'm sure, Pastor, I'm sure you've, some of you have seen the prayer letter, Pastor, you know, we had to put a heating system in one building, and we've done what we can to accommodate refugees. Because the refugee centers that were set up were overflowing, and we've got you know, like 400 beds in the camp, so we took up to 160 refugees last year. Right now we have 40 refugees. These are mostly elderly people who want to go home. I don't blame them for wanting to go home. Uh, they don't want to go on somewhere else. We got a letter from a lady who had stayed in our camp, and she said, thank you for taking care of me. I've arrived in Argentina. So I don't know where these refugees are going, but I guess they're going everywhere. And uh, we've had a lot come through, over 1,000 come through. But uh, we've been able to preach the gospel to them, help them. The ladies now that we have in the camp, most of them are ladies, a couple of men and a few children. The, the kids are doing online school. The ladies are having their own prayer meetings now. And they're, and they're praying together and worshiping together. So uh, it's exciting that we've been able to help these folks. But pray for us in the camp in Moldova. Our gas, natural gas has gone up four times since the Russian war. Our electricity bill has gone up three times. Our gasoline and diesel have doubled in price. We have expected at any time that this war could spill over to Moldova. So pray for us there. We're going to continue to plan our ministry as if that's not going to happen. Because we have no other choice. We have to. And so we're planning to run a full summer of camp next year. So pray for us 
we believe many young people will be saved. Uh, we've been able to bring refugees in this last summer, uh, Ukrainian young people who got saved in the camp. So we're real excited about the future of the ministry there in Moldova. Um, I want to tell you, though, a bit of a mission story as you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to tell you a mission story. I, I like telling my own mission stories, not other people's mission stories. But we've been working in Central Asia because Dr. Hutchins came to Africa to take over. Uh, I, I, I was invited to come back to the camp in Moldova. We had lost some of our leadership, and I felt that I needed to come back. And I was also invited by the Christian University uh, in, in our capital city, good friends of mine that we've been partnering with for many years, to go over to Central Asia. The problem in Central Asia is it's mostly Muslim country. The churches that are there, most of them were established back in the 90s when missionaries could go into Central Asia. Uh, these, these Muslim countries there, uh, I would say they're not mostly radical Muslims, just nominal Muslims, but because they're Muslims, they decided back in the late 90s to throw all the missionaries out. So I think the real problem that happened to the church there, and believe me, I've sat in auditoriums as big as this auditorium. I don't know how many seats are here, but there would be 500 seats in the auditorium, and they've got 20 people in the church now. Because I think what happened was the missionaries came and they evangelized, and there was not enough time to make solid disciples before they were thrown out. So the, the people scattered. And so I'm going throughout the countries, and we're talking... Uh, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, and Uzbekistan, those four countries. Uzbekistan is the strictest of the countries, and that's where I have the most work. I, we've decided to center on that, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But we, I went around the country looking and talking to the pastors and asking them how they were evangelizing, what they were doing. I'm trying to learn about how they are trying to reach people for Christ. And I heard over and over again that you can't just evangelize in Central Asia. You can't just evangelize Muslims. And I read things about some guys who said you can't do that. You can't evangelize Muslims. You have to be very careful. And they were telling me you have to take many years to establish relationship with Muslims before you can witness. Now i got to be, be frank with you, that didn't set well with me. Because I don't have many years to make friends before I can evangelize in Central Asia. So it didn't sit well with me. Uh, it sort of sounded like something I heard when I was a kid called friendship evangelism, you know, where you just be a good Christian, just behave yourself, and, and, and people will want to know what's, why you're different. Well, I've never had anybody ask me why I'm such a good guy. Maybe because I'm not such a good guy, I don't know. But nobody's ever asked me why I'm a good guy. And can you tell me why you're better than I am so that maybe I can be as good as you? Nobody's ever done that. Have you ever had anybody do that? Pastor, anybody ever say, man, man, man you're a really good guy, why? Well, then you can tell them, well, I'm a pastor and, and why? But nobody's ever done that for me. And it didn't set well with me that that's what the Central Asian Christians were doing with their Muslim friends. They said, we want to be friends with them. We want to have long-term relationship. And over time, we'll have a chance to witness. And I thought, well, that's, that's obviously not working. Because the reason I've been invited here is because the graduates of our Bible school are failing in the ministry. They're not reaching anybody with the gospel. They're not establishing any churches. They're not doing anything. So I go back to the Bible school and I talk to, and I want to say this, we have a lot of uh, 
Central Asians and, and the university in Kishinev, the capital is Kishinev of Moldova, at the university there, they, this is not my little Bible school I have at the camp, all right? That's, that's, a, that's a different thing. But I'm, they, they bring a lot of them over, and, and, and that's why, you know, they asked me to come work with them. And so I'm talking with them, and they're telling me the same thing. Because they came out of those churches that, where people were evangelized. They are the sons and grandsons and daughters and granddaughters of the people who got saved in the 90s through those early missionary efforts. Telling me the same thing. So we ran, went over and we ran a camp. And I was invited to preach. Now you've got to remember, they warned me to be very careful at the camp. And I was very careful. I preached my first message on the Quran. What does the Quran say about Jesus Christ? It says more about Jesus than it does Muhammad. All right? It says nine times in the Quran that Jesus is the Messiah. It says Jesus is born of a virgin. It says that in the Quran. All right? I can preach that, can I? Now, don't be offended. I preached a message out of the Quran. But you know what else the Quran says? If you want to know about the Messiah, speak to a man of the book, a Christian who knows the Bible. Hmm. Now we're talking, right? Then, <clears throat> then we get into the next two messages. I preach out of the Old Testament, out of the book of Isaiah. You don't have to convince a Muslim that we're talking about Jesus because we're establishing that that's the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. If it was a Jewish camp, a Jewish unbelievers, Jewish people who were not Christian, I'd have some convincing to do, but I don't have to convince a Muslim. And by the way, in the Quran it also says, Isaiah is a prophet. Every word of a prophet is to be believed. So I'm showing him out of Isaiah. Then I go to the New Testament. By, by, by the way, I don't, I don't explain Emmanuel yet. Because the Quran says, don't call any man the Son of God. So I just leave that. I'll get to that at the, in the last message. That's my last message. Then I go to the New Testament for a couple messages, and I tell them who Jesus is, and I show them how Jesus matches what the Old Testament says. By this time... Every Muslim out there who's seeking after God, and if he's a good Muslim, he's seeking after God, is intrigued enough where he wants a copy of the New Testament. Then we get into the last message about Emmanuel. But we have an ally in the Holy Spirit. We saw in the last year's camp, we saw 70 Muslims saved. And those who didn't get saved said, I want a copy of the Bible. We started the backpacking adventures where we take 20 young people at a time, all Muslims, into the mountains, and we talk to them about Jesus Christ. And I told my guys, these are the guys I'm working with, these are graduates of our Bible school, there's one reason why you're not seeing anybody saved. You're not telling people that you are a Christian. You ask people, this is how I approach Muslims, are you a Muslim? They say, yes, I am. I say, well, I'm a Christian. And then I say, why are you a Muslim? And they give me some mumbo-jumbo. Why they're a Muslim? Mostly because they were born there, you know? <laughs> they don't know anything else. They were born there. Then they say, well, what are they going to ask me next? Inevitably, 99%, why are you a Christian? The minute they ask me that, if I have a witness, I cannot be prosecuted, thrown out of the country, or put in prison. Because I am not proselyting now. I'm a man of the book, and they've asked me about the Messiah. Because Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. And I am a follower of the Messiah. So, I told my guys, that's why. 
So now I got a whole bunch of guys from the university that are so excited about soul winning, they can't contain themselves. We got on the Zoom call after the camps this summer, and they were just, they couldn't believe it. They said, we are seeing people saved. We now have started two churches. We never dreamed we could start two churches in just three years of ministry. I said, guys, it's just the beginning. This is going to snowball. Because these churches are full of university graduates who've been saved in our camps and in our youth clubs and our youth ministries, as you saw in the video. Now, folks, what's the lesson for us? I know America's an apostate nation. You know it and I know it. People here have been turning their back on God. But the reason why we're not seeing people saved in the United States today is the same reason we weren't seeing people saved in Muslim countries. And I'm going to interject something here before I get to that point. The hottest place on earth where the most people are being saved, the country that's the hottest for the gospel today, is Iran. It's also a great place of persecution, but people are willing to die for the gospel there. The reason why we're not seeing people saved in Akron, Ohio, is because we're not telling them we're Christians and we're not talking to them about the gospel. It might be as simple as asking them, why you, are you not a Christian? And they may say, well, I am a Christian. But yes, but I'm a born-again Christian. Let me explain to you what that means. We've got to open our mouths and let people know we're saved. Let them know that we're concerned about their souls. And if we would do that, I believe we would see people saved more than we have. And I'm talking to one of the great soul-winning churches, I believe, in Akron today. All right? I grew up in a great soul-winning church. And I believe that this is a great soul-winning church. I can tell you right now, I called you, uh, uh, Pastor, about coming on Wednesday night because I know there are churches I can't call because they don't have a Wednesday night. Well, people won't come. They don't have a Sunday night. I'm frustrated at taking a long furlough. My last furlough four or five years ago, I mean, it was hard to get meetings. Most pastors only have Sunday morning. That's all they've got. And the young pastors don't know me now, and they're just afraid to give me the... the I mean, it was hard to find meetings. Hardest, hardest I've ever seen to find meetings. Because so many churches who call themselves Baptists... Well, they don't call themselves Baptists anymore, I think, some of them. But they, they, they've cut out their, their Sunday night and their Wednesday night. If we really believed we were in the last days, if we really believed persecution was coming, would we not meet more often than less? Would we not get together and pray more? Without revival, we have no hope. Well, I've got three sermons I'd like to preach today, but I'm just going to go over to... 1 Corinthians, and this kind of gives, gives me an opportunity to, to preach a little and share my testimony. But I'm going to look in verse, beginning in verse 27. Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians, through the Corinthian church, about, about the importance of the gospel here. You know, the Corinthian church is a church with a lot of problems. They looked at Paul and Apollos and, 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 and John and some of the other dis, uh, apostles, and they almost tried to elevate them to the statue of God's. They were very confused about their Christianity. You know, uh, when one guy says, I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Paul, or whatever, you know, he's, he's saying, I'm following this great spiritual leader almost to the place where he's a god. And Paul is correcting them about that. 
But then he comes and he begins to talk about the importance of the gospel. And he begins to talk about how, how God is going to use something that the world would never use. Beginning in verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of the world God hath chosen. Oh, excuse me. The base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. God hath chosen weak, foolish things in order to confuse and confound the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world doesn't appreciate what we're doing here today. The wisdom of this world wants to close down what we're doing here today. We're doing right now, what I'm doing right now, is foolishness to the world. Opening the Word and preaching the Bible is foolishness to the world. But to God, His foolishness, the things he deems as, the world would deem as foolishness, is the wisest thing God could do. Now, I'll tell you, I'll give you a little personal testimony here. I come from a broken home. My parents got a divorce. I wish they'd have got a divorce earlier because all they did was mess us, mess us kids up by staying together, fighting all the time. That's a terrible thing to say, but, but it, was, it, was, it was difficult where I was growing up. If I hadn't have picked up my Bible and started reading it when I was 12 years old, I don't know what would have happened. But I went to youth camp. We had a camp called Ohio Baptist Acres. You ever heard of it in the old days? Some of you may have been from the old Akron Baptist Temple. That's where I went. I went out to Ohio Baptist Acres one time, and there were probably 500 kids got off the buses, and we're screaming and yelling, and I walked into my room, and I saw this old man sitting on the bunk. He must have been 70 years old. And I'm thinking, why is he in our room? Well, it turns out they couldn't get enough counselors that week. So they invited this elderly man. He volunteered to be a counselor. Now, I'm going to tell you, at first I, I thought it was going to be a disaster, but it was the best thing ever happened to me. I'm going to give you the man's name because he's one of the greatest men I ever knew. His name was George Moore. If you were from the Akron Baptist Temple, his, his brother was a pastor there. Uh, for, for, for many years, but George was just a layman who worked with youth. And um, he was my counselor, and that week, George told me, he said, Eric, I was probably 14 or 15, he said, I see something in you, and I would like for you to come and help me in the youth program in the fall. Now, I was, I was not going to take him seriously, but that man wouldn't leave me alone. You see, I was a very shy boy. My parents would have company. I'd go up to my room, shut the door. All right, I was very shy, very quiet. I never spoke to anyone. I would have never dreamed of ever standing publicly and speaking to people in those days. It wasn't possible for me to do that. When I was in school, if I had to give a report, uh, we had a teacher in history, and I was very good in history. I made A's in history. <coughs> and if the... Um, 
One teacher I had said, if you stand and give a report that lasts for 20 minutes, I'll give you an A in the class. And uh, if you give a shorter report, I'll give you a B. Or you can give a written report and I'll give you a C. I took a C all year because I wasn't standing up in front of people. No way. But I remember going and helping George Moore with, uh, I don't know if it was Awanas, I don't know what we had in those days, but I, I think it was something like Awanas. And I went and I, I was like 10 or 12 year old boys and, and uh, I helped George with that group. And I remember about the third week I was there, George said to me, uh, now Eric, you're going to pray for the opening of our Awana class today. And I said, George, I'm not. George, I'm not. I can't do it, George. And he said, you can do it. Just close your eyes, Eric, and just tell God what's on your heart. Oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> he said, that's fine. Okay. And then he prayed and we went on. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't do it. But um, he saw something in me and he kept working with me. God called me to preach right before my 18th birthday. It was before they built their new auditorium there, the big one. Um, and uh, it was called the Companions Class. And they had a thousand young people in there, and they had a special preacher, um, some guy named Jerry Thorpe or something, I don't remember. And uh, he preached a great message, and I, I don't remember what it was. But I remember being very much convicted that God wanted me to be a preacher. Now, I, I, had, I handed out tracts at school. I was trying to be a witness at school. I took my Bible to school. I was a Christian, but I never, I never thought I'd ever be a preacher. And... Um, uh, I went to my youth director, uh, and I told him, sitting in his office, uh, God's called me to preach. What should I do? And he said, are you sure? He said, I've never heard you string a sentence together until right now. And I said, well, he's called me at the youth meeting. And he said, all right, well, okay. He said, if God's called you to preach, I recommend you go to Bible school. We're going to take some tours of Bible schools. We took a tour of three. We went to BBC in Springfield. We went to Tennessee Temple. And we went to Bob Jones. As far as I was concerned, those are the only three schools on the planet. I didn't know. And I liked Bob Jones. You know why? They had a Shakespearean play. And I thought, you know, if I could learn some of that, I might just be educated. So I thought, I'll go to Bob Jones and get a real education. You know, public school education, as it was. I thought it would be a great help to me. So I went to Bob Jones. And I graduated from Bob Jones, and I got a master's somewhere else, but we won't get into all that. I got over it already, okay? So anyway, <laughs> um, first message I ever preached was in a jail at Bob Jones. When I was at Bob Jones, we went up to a town called Asheville. They asked me to preach. I preached everything I knew in 10 minutes. But a big old black fella got saved. He must have been about six foot six, and he was his... Well, he wasn't quite that wide, felt like that, big. And uh, he took my hand, and he just cried like a baby. And I had him repeat a prayer, and I, I never seen him again. But it encouraged me to keep preaching. But you know what I was? I was the foolish thing. I was the weak thing. There couldn't have been anybody weaker than me that God could have called at that time in my life. And I would often say, if God can use me, he can use you. I may have told you this last time I was here, but it fits. Did I ever tell you about the first time I went door knocking? Do you remember? 
I told this story in the church last on Sunday, and they said, yeah, you told that last time after you got started. You know, you have so many missionaries, you probably don't remember all my stories. The first time I went door knocking, I was 16 years old. We took a soul winning class out at the same youth camp. And they put us on a bus on Friday and shipped us back into Akron. And we were down there around the church area, you know, over there in that Reimer School District. And um, I chose as a partner a fellow that I knew could talk because he never shut up. He just talked and talked and talked. So I said, you know, will you be my partner? And he said, sure. Now, I found out later he chose me because he thought I was spiritual. I was, but I wasn't spiritual enough to talk. But we had a stack of tracks, and I don't have any with me right now, but I'll just take your order of service here, and I'll pretend it's a track. And uh, I had the tracks. I said, I have the tracks. You do the talking. We argued all the way to the first lady's door. It was a little white house, and we knocked on the door, and I said, you're going to tell her about the gospel. We learned it. And he says, I'm not doing it. You are. Well, I never was so scared in my life when that door opened. There was a five-foot-tall woman there with white hair. And she looked like she was, well, she had to be 70. And she looked at us, and I, I, belt, I about melted, and the guy with me about melted. And she said, can I help you guys? <laughs> that was the worst part. Now we got to talk. And I look at him, and he looks at me, and he don't say nothing. And I don't say nothing. And she, do you, what do you guys want? Well, I took a trek. And she took it, and she looked it over, and she said, are you boys from the Akron Baptist Temple? She said, I already go there. And I said, I took back the trek, and we left. And I told my buddy, I said, see how easy that was? I said, this is going to be easy. We just have to do one street, and we go back to camp. Let's just get her over with. Now I said, are you ready to talk? He said, I don't think I am. He said, that scared me. I said, well, it scared me too, but we're, we're talking, going to the next door. Now, we're not paying attention because we're arguing. I should have known by that Harley in the driveway we were not going to get the same reception at the next house. You know, Harley, big grease stain in the front, you know, garage door open full of junk in the yard. We get to the next place, and there was a guy as big as Goliath came out the door. Bearded, long hair, balding on top, you know. He, I, know how, I know what he had for breakfast because a big yellow stain on his T-shirt. And I'm looking at that guy, and that guy looks at me, and he says, what do you want? And I wanted to run, but I couldn't, and I looked at my friend, and he's already running down the driveway. <laughs> and I'm standing there. He says, do you want something or not? I felt like Mr. Bean, you know. <laughs> and I handed him a track, and he took it from me, and he looked at it. Is that all? Okay, thanks. And he shut the door and went inside. I didn't take the track from him. I was scared. And I went back. We finished the street. But nobody ate us. Nobody hurt us. I won't say sometimes people don't get, get a little upset with you. Some of the worst fellows knock on a Baptist feller's door at, at 9 in the morning. And he's still in bed. He'll, he'll get upset with you. <laughs> but I was in California and I pastored in California for a few years, started a church out there. Everybody was nice to me. I knocked on every door in our neighborhood two or three times, and everybody was nice. You see, the problem is we don't try to do anything because we're afraid. Like, I was afraid. I was the weak thing. I was the foolish thing. I was the base thing. I was the thing that... 
the world says, you're nothing. But you know that's what God wants. You know why God wants that? Because he doesn't, what it says in that last verse, 31, he doesn't want any flesh to glorify. What am I? It tells us in verse 30 what I am. I'm in Christ, who God hath made unto us wisdom. My wisdom comes from Christ. My wisdom is the gospel. The world says the gospel's foolishness. I'm telling you it is the power of God and the salvation. That's what Paul said it was. It is the gospel that changes a man's life. You can't take a man through a reform program and expect him to stick with it most of the time. It is the gospel that changes lives. How many of you here today are here and alive because of the gospel? How many of you quit drinking because of the gospel? How many of you have, have saved your marriage because of the gospel? And your life has been changed because of the gospel? I can't tell you how many of my African guys have told me if it weren't for the gospel, I'd be dead right now. I've met Russian guys who said they were atheists, but they really weren't atheists. They were agnostic. They didn't know. They just didn't know. Most people say they're atheists. They just don't know. We have to tell them. We have to. And if we want to hasten the day of the Lord, we have to tell people about the gospel. I am righteous because of Christ. As it says in verse 30. I'm sanctified because of Christ. I have redemption. I've been bought back because of Christ. No works could have, could have put me in front of you today. Somebody asked me a while back, do you ever get nervous when you preach? I'm petrified. I still am. I still am. You know, maybe if I were your pastor, I wouldn't be because I know you. But I'm scared to come to such a big church and look how you all stare at me while I'm trying to talk to you. You know? <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous about it. But I do it because it's the right thing to do and God helps me through it. God blesses me. Folks, we went to Moldova not knowing what would happen. And we saw thousands saved. Our first baptism, we saw 350 people in our first baptism. I guess I'll never see that again. We've gone down to Africa and we've been able to see quickly because of the wisdom of God that many of the Christians had confused animism and Christianity. And we were able to see how to correct that problem and help those people to be more convinced of the gospel and, and be less convinced of animism. We've been able to go to Muslim countries and quickly turn things around. That's the wisdom, wisdom of God. That's not the wisdom of Eric Chapman. I didn't know what to do. But God showed us if we would just speak the name of Jesus. We are Christian. And if we can help you, we'll help you. And many people wanted that help. Folks, no flesh will glory in His presence because that's the wisdom of God. God will do it all. God will do it all. Folks, God can use Eric Chapman. He can use you. Probably the first message I preached in your church or the second was over in Isaiah chapter 6. And I will not preach this message to you again, but Isaiah sees the throne of God. He sees everything that goes along with that. He hears the voice of the Lord after repenting of his sin. And he hears the Lord say, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah volunteered right then and there. said, Here am I. Send me. And that's what God did. He sent Isaiah. 
We live in a day and a time, folks, when not many are, not many are receiving the call to come to missions. It's, it's very hard to find good missionaries today. There are some, of course. You have some of them in your church. But to the young people, the greatest thing you'll ever do is accept the mantle to serve God. I will tell you now, I don't have any regrets. None at all. God's taken care. He's met every need. Just every step along the way, I have said yes to God, whatever he's called me to do. If he called me to do a youth camp, I did a youth camp. He called me to start a church, I started a church. My only regrets in life have been the times God has told me to open my mouth and speak his name, and I was overcome by fear and I didn't do it. Those are my regrets in life. But I'm happy to tell you in my old age, I have seen the error of my ways and I try to speak his name everywhere I go. If nothing else, I just tell people I'm a missionary and I'm a Christian and I'm serving the Lord. And see if it opens up a conversation. And if Eric Chapman can do it, you can do it. Don't say you can't. If Eric Chapman can do it, you can do it. A boy from over here in Kenmore area. Is there still a Kenmore area? A young man from that area. Come from a broken home. Couldn't speak. Shy, afraid, many ways broken. God put me back together. By His Spirit, I've been able to do all things that He's asked me to do. By His power, by His might, by His wisdom, by His redemption, I am His servant. That's my message today. That's my testimony. And that's the best I can do for you today. I may never be back because of my age. I may die. I may not. I may be back in four years. I shouldn't say never. If I can, I'll be back. But at least pray for us. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Pastor and I did not talk about an invitation on Wednesday night, but he's nodding. If God has spoken to you, I'm going to ask you to come and pray. The only thing going to save the United States today is, is prayer and revival.